Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. Well, 40 days and 40 nights have gone by since he had eaten anything. He had been in the desert fasting and praying in preparation for what was about to come. And before he could do what he was sent here to do, for the reason of him on this place, he needed some time to himself to meditate and to focus. Now, what better place than a desert to do that? But he started to get hungry. And he was a man after all. But that distraction didn't stop him from what he had to do. He stayed focused. And then, he showed up. He said, if you are who you say you are, tell these stones to become bread. I know you're hungry. There's no sense in starving in the desert. It is written, man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And not satisfied with that, he then took him to the highest point of the temple in the holy city. He said, if you are who you say you are, then throw yourself down. It is written that his angels will save you. I mean, come on. You know he won't let you get hurt. It is also written do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, seeing that he wasn't really getting anywhere, he took him to a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and he said, all of this can be yours, all of it. I will give you anything you desire. Just bow and worship me. Away from me, Satan. I will only worship the Lord, your God, and no one else. And so Satan left. And then Jesus was standing there, now ready to bring the message of truth and hope to the world, for he had passed the temptations of the, of the deserts. Jesus was able to do the very thing that many of us in this room, including myself, can't do. Resist temptation. Now our comrade James actually has a few things to say about that this morning. And so I thought, well, let's go dive in and let's see what James has to say on this topic and issue. Let's pray together. Father, we just are grateful to be once again in your word, to be looking at the scripture and diving into the book of James. As I do every week, Lord, I pray that so far as we've lifted our voices and we've sung our, our songs and our hearts to you, that you've accepted that as worship, Lord. 
But God, I pray now that as each of us are sitting here, that we are, are opening our hearts and our minds for what you want to say to us. And God, as the messenger, as the one who, is, who has sat down and prepared and is preaching, that I only speak your truth. That God, if I say anything that is not correct, anything that is not of your word, correct me on this platform today, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we left off last week. We just really covered the first few verses of chapter 1. And we, if you recall, it was James telling us to consider it a pure joy when we are faced with trials. Oh, you're going through trials? Hallelujah! <laughs> Take it as joy. James, what are you talking about, right? That a tested faith blossoms into a strong faith. That was really what he was hitting at. He spoke into how we are to approach God, right? He spoke into that. Here is how you approach God when asking for wisdom. And then James gave us his opinion of the man who doubts when going before the Lord. We also established that the audience of this letter, the one of the book of James, were the scattered 12 tribes of Israel, those who had left from Jerusalem, particularly after Stephen's death. And so James is writing as a pastor to his own people who are living in fear now that both Jesus and Stephen have been killed for this faith. And so in our scripture today, James continues to speak into those who are facing trials, facing tests, facing temptation, facing it all because of their faith. He says in verse 12, Blessed is the one who preserves under trial, perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And so here in verse 12, James is offering a word of blessing he is giving us a word of blessing to the person that is, is persevering through their trials, through their tests, through their, 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 their struggles. He's saying, keep going. Don't stop. Keep going. See it through. Don't give up. He says, this person will be blessed. Not, not though I have to understand that, that not from an earthly perspective, not an earthly blessing. He doesn't say, continue on the path. So that way I can give you all of the earthly blessings I can give you now while it matters at this moment in time. No, he's saying that there is a reward coming that is beyond what the world can give you. In fact, when I was looking into this particular scripture, I was, I was curious on the word crown. Crown. What, what, what you, the crown of life. And so when I looked at that word in Greek, it actually is kind of an interesting thing. It doesn't really translate to crown. That's what we call it in English. But when, when James was writing it out, it was actually described as a wreath. A wreath that is placed on the head of a victorious athlete. Placing it on his head. As a, you know, nowadays we put gold medals over it, right? That's kind of, we do the medal thing. But then it was wreath he would put on top of their head. And so as James was writing an image, if you will, of, of God rewarding the person who has stood the test. Putting it on your head. 
And going into the next verse here in the, in the book of James, he's now ready to switch gears just a little bit. He's talked about the blessing. He's talked about all, but now he's going to switch it just a little bit. He's like, okay, I've got your attention. Now I need to reel you in. Because, because in order for it to, to get the crown of life, there are things that have to be done. To get the crown, to get to that point, to get the blessing that God has, that, that, that wreath or that crown, there has to be something, there has to be, there's got to be something from us, his people. And in the next verse, he reminds his audience, he reminds us, you and me, of a spiritual truth about the God we serve. He writes it down, he puts it on paper, a reminder of the God that we serve. That no matter what is happening to us, that this principle that he is writing holds true no matter what. That no matter, that when we feel like that we're being attacked from every angle, when, when, when we feel like that it, there is just no way to win this battle, James is saying, remember this truth. It does not change. And what truth is that? James writes, when tempted, do not say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. This is theology 101. This is it right. A holy God cannot be tempted because he is completely separate from sin. Our God is completely separate from sin. He is holy. There has never been or will there ever be any roots of sin that have, have taken root or grow from God, ever. Sin wouldn't survive in the presence of God. It would be completely burned away before it even had a chance to take root in our God because of his holiness. And we've seen this in scripture. We have examples of this. In fact, when I, when I, one that came to mind when I was reading through James was when Moses, when he went up to the Mount Sinai, and he went up there to go meet with the Lord. Then he's literally on top of this mountain. He's just freed God's nation from Egypt. They crossed over the Red Sea by God. God literally split the water in two. And now Moses is here on top of this mountain, and he is begging, I want to see your face, God. I've already fought, I've done everything you've said. I've, I've freed the people like you said. We crossed the Red Sea like you said. Now we're stuck in the desert like you said. I want to see your face. I want to see you. I want to see your glory, God. This is what I want. And God, right there on top of the mountain, he told him that I can let you see my back. Was this a burn? Was I not worthy enough to see your face? No, no, Moses, my glory is too great for you. You don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking on top of this mountain. Your heart is saying, let me see your face. But your flesh is why I can only show you my back. Because you are filled with sin and I am a holy God. I am separate from that. So I can show you my back. And in fact, it said, the scripture says that he said, stand by this rock, Moses. Stand right there. And I will hold my hand over your face. So that way when I get into position, you don't see. But once it's ready, once it's time, 
I'll remove my hand because Moses, I love you. I want to protect you. And I'll, I'll remove my hand and I will let you see my back. And so Moses got into position and that's exactly what God did. He moved his hand right over his face. And once he got into position, he, he moved his hand and showed a piece of glory to, to God's glory to Moses there. And what scripture says is that after that interaction on top of the mountain, just seeing that one little piece of God's back there on Mount Sinai, that it says that Moses was radiant, literally glowing, like radioactive. His face was just glowing brightness. And when he came down from the mountain, it was physical evidence that he was in the presence of God. Physical, that when the people of Israel saw him coming down from the mountain, they said, here is a man that has seen God. There is evidence of it. In fact, they were afraid of him. They were feared. Aaron even said, wait, stand back, stand back. And so Moses said, it is I. I have seen the glory of God. I have seen him. Come closer. May Lord, may, may, may people see that on us. May we glow when we're outside in the presence of our work or school or wherever it may be. That we glow like that. Because God is not a tempter. He is a redeemer. This is who he is. And he will always be that. I mean, this would be like a coach or a trainer, all right? Whose job, literally whose job, it is to make sure that you're healthy, that you're fit, that you're disciplined, right? Don't eat that. You shouldn't eat that. Don't eat that, right? You need to come in the gym. I'm going to hit you hard. We're going to make sure that you are fit and healthy. This would be like this trainer or this coach showing up to your house saying, hey, great job. You hit the gym good. Your discipline was great. I liked everything I saw. Here is a cake and some donuts. <laughs> I want to tell you that I expect my family to give me cakes and donuts, my friends to give me cakes and donuts. They don't have any skin in the game. But if my trainer, if my coach came to my door and said, great job, I'm proud of you, but here's some cake, I just give up. I'm just gonna be a big boy forever, you know? There's no hope. Everything is out the door at that moment. This isn't who God is. This is not who God is. He doesn't show up just to show us the way and then hand us the world so that we can get lost in it. This is not who God is. So who does the tempting? Who is the one that shows up at the door and says, here's the cake? Who is that? Well, actually, I think it's three things, not just one. I think it is Satan, the obvious, but I also think it's the world. I also think it's my flesh. It's me. And if I had to put those three in order of the ones that tempt us the most or make us stumble the most, I would put it, and this is not scripture, this is my, my, my opinion, I would put it in as flesh, Satan, and the world. That's the order I would put it in. Three separate things that can come and try to tempt us or take us away from the path of righteousness. I'm going to tell you that we give Satan a lot of credit for the temptations in our lives. 
We, we give him way more power than what the scripture says he actually has. When in reality, it's really us. I mean, how, I mean this would be like, you know, we're on Sunday morning worship and the sound system quits working. And then we just say, Satan, get out of there. Get out of that sound system. When in reality, all it was is the mute button was on. That's a true story, and I was the guy running sound that day. That one hit right here. <laughs> but this is essentially what I'm talking about, is that sometimes we start to blame Satan when in reality we're the ones hitting the mute button. We're the ones. The truth is, is that most, if not the majority of our temptation comes from our own personal flesh, us. Our own body knows where to get us. It knows where to, where to make me stumble, to make me fall, to make, me, to make my eyes look a certain way, to make my mind lean a different way. It knows these things, our flesh. I'm going to tell you that my flesh knows. For me, Captain Paul knows that if you were to put alcohol in front of me, there would be absolutely no temptation. Not because I'm some holier-than-thou preacher man behind the pulpit, but by the grace of God and a mother that loves me is that I've never tasted it. I've never had alcohol. And so, therefore, if it was dangling in front of me, it would be no temptation. But I'm going to tell you, however, and my wife can be witness to this, if there was a tub of Bluebell cookies and cream ice cream... <laughs> The only thing left is crumbs around my mouth. You get what I'm saying? Is that my flesh knows that if you're going to get me, don't take me to a bar, take me to an ice cream parlor. But you get where I'm going. My flesh knows that. Now, this is also why the scripture is focused more on our flesh than anything else. On our flesh. Paul writes, my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. My flesh is weak. And so James says in verse 14, he says that God does not tempt, but each one is tempted by his own evil desires our flesh and then James right there in the following verses he gives us the process he gives us a layout of how temptation turns to sin he spills it out he says it starts with the desire the temptation itself whatever it may be it starts there then if acted upon it turns into sin the temptation then leaves this stage and goes over to sin. We are willfully uh, 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 kind of just jumping into this and saying that we want to be part, take part of that. If given the opportunity and left unattended, that sin will take root. It will start growing. Then you'll have all kinds of different weeds coming out harder and harder to, to keep back and to take care of. And then what happens is it turns into death. So James says, basically put, desire, sin, death. This is the cycle. Desire, 
sin, death. And if it's left unattended, that cycle will repeat itself over and 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 over again. Have you felt this before? Have you seen this before? Experienced this before? This process where you feel like I just can't get out. What do I have to do? This is why places like our ARC, our our rehab center, they exist to have other people from the outside come in and say, follow me. Come here. I'll show to get from this cycle and say, here is the path of righteousness. And I'm not going to give up on you either. I'm going to come in every day. I'm going to check on you. I'm going to, and this is, this is the church. This is it. It's the cycle of this turning to this. Right here. This path. And what James is saying right here is he's telling us, and this is the spiritual reality, is that he's telling us that the first stage of the cycle, the desire-temptation stage, is an absolute guarantee for believers. There's no way around it. There's no way over it or under it. The moment you said, Jesus, I love you, and I want to follow you to the day I die, your first cycle has begun. Temptation. Because our flesh, the world, and Satan will do everything to say, actually, he was lying. And I'm going to try to keep that going until we die. That cycle. That cycle over and over. So James is saying stage one is guaranteed. But it's not sin yet. Stage one isn't sin. The desire to sin comes when we act on it. Move in. We lean into it just a little bit. Give it a little bit of rooting. And then when it's act onto those desires, then it becomes a cycle. And how do we break it? How do we break the cycle? It happens when you finally, when I finally realized that I'm not the one that stops it. I'm not the one that stops it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This is how we stop it. And so James finishes chapter one with the word of encouragement. He really wanted us to hit on this temptation thing, but he wanted us to be encouraged. He says in verse 16, don't be deceived, my my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose, God chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits 
of all he created. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father, James says, who does not change. He's saying, people of Israel, don't give in to temptation. People of God, people of today, don't give in to temptation. Our flesh, the world, Satan, they can only offer us things that are temporary. Nothing they offer is eternal. Not one thing that they offer is eternal. Everything they offer is temporary. But, look up. James says, look up. For every good and perfect gift is from above. No tricks, no agendas, no evil. But from there, only righteousness, holiness, goodness, and love. God isn't tempting you. He is redeeming you. He's redeeming me. And James wouldn't be James if he didn't end this section with the why. Why? Why does this matter? Why do I write this down? Why am I sharing these words with you? Why? Why do we need to be mature? Why do we need to overcome, overcome our flesh, our evil desires? Because James is saying, because it's not just about you. People who follow Jesus, James is saying, hear my voice. It's not just about you. He writes that God chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits to all he created. In Leviticus chapter 23, the bringing in of the first fruits of the harvest was an indication that the rest of the harvest, once it's ready, will be on its way. There is more coming. This is just the first fruit that we're bringing to the temple. But more is coming, priest. More is coming. Our ability to withstand our flesh, to withstand the world, and to withstand Satan will open the harvest for more to come, for more to come, for others to be born again, for a revival to take place within your heart and within my heart, within our church and this world, for others to be set free from their addictions, to be set free from anything that Satan and the world and their flesh is continually making them stay in cycle for, for the sick to be healed, for the blind to see, that if we claim to be followers of Jesus, we must resist temptation so that others can come to know him. Their souls are depending on it. They're depend they may not know that. The harvest may not be quite ready to bring in just yet. But God, James is saying, but all of us here, we're the first fruits saying that there's more coming. There's more coming. More coming from our work, from those who are sitting by us. More coming from our classmates that we're in school with. There's more coming, coming into the grocery store. There's more coming from my neighbors in my, in my, in my neighborhood. There's more coming. And they're all looking to the first fruits saying, that looks good. That looks good. Where do I go for that? 
What's your battle this morning? What is your battle this morning? What temptation maybe is on your heart? I would be, wouldn't be surprised if in this time now, talking about this cycle, talking about that maybe in your mind something popped up going, that's it. That's my cycle. That's the thing that keeps getting me every single time. What is your battle? What is it that your flesh keeps throwing you, that Satan keeps throwing you, that the world keeps throwing you? And are you ready to fight that battle? On your knees, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Friends, temptation is not stronger than the Lord. Our identity is in him alone. And take hope that Satan, your flesh, and the world cannot stop you from being with him. Father, we just come in prayer. And we just pray that this word, James chapter 1, give us strength to fight our battles, knowing that we're surrounded by you. That God, as we lean in, and we say that not, not today, flesh, not today, that this is the day that the Lord has made, and I'm going to lean into that. That God, I pray now that within our body, within our church, within our home here, that if there's any, any sin that needs to be burned away, that, Father, that happens. That your redeeming love touch, touch a heart, touch a mind, touch a soul, whatever it is, God, but just that, that this here, is where that, that cycle stops, that, that leaning in and giving in to our desire stop. But God, that we see our identity in you, our image of you, Lord, in us. So Father, this is our prayer. Make us holy, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.